Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Invite you to turn in your own Bible or in a pew Bible to 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 14. That's page 368 in your Old Testament. Hear now these words. Then David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to make this free will offering? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God, indeed. Good morning, church. I'm Adam Seat, lead pastor here at Orange. I thank you so much for being a part of this time of worship as we gather together. I trust uh, that you know that every Sunday that you come into worship, we give thanks for that willingness to just come and to be a part of the body of Christ together. And so thank you so much for being here today. As Pastor Corey said, this afternoon, I'm going to begin, uh, we have a small group that we're going through a book, Unclobber. It's a, a really a great book to be able to figure out the ways that we wrestle with scripture. And so I invite you to be a part of that. But in that book, there's one thing that the, the, the pastor that wrote it spoke about. He spoke about that in church, sometimes they would do rock, paper, scissor prayers. And being a child of games, one that always has loved games, I thought, this is interesting. And he described that every every now and then in church, he would invite people to, to throw up either rock, paper, or scissors as they prayed. The rock represented relationships. So maybe you're dealing with a relationship with a spouse, a co-worker, a parent, or a child that, that you want to lift up to God in prayer. Maybe you want to throw up paper. Paper representing work, like paperwork. Uh, maybe it's vocational questions, trying to uh, relationships even with people that you work with, something concerns about that job. Or scissors, meaning self. Maybe there's something within. Um, uh, maybe it's something you're personally struggling with, or maybe it's a health issue or, or something within. And so today, as we go into this time of, uh, of the message, before we do, I want to invite us to throw up rock, paper, and scissors. I know just last week, I think it was, that I, I referenced about the old-timey revival where everybody would bow their heads and uh, every eye closed and every head bowed. And I see that hand. and So I'm going to invite us in just a moment. I'm going to say one, two, three, and then we'll throw up. If you've got one of those things, rock, paper, or scissors, and I'll lead us into a time of prayer. And just to maintain the integrity of this exercise, I will ask, let's go ahead, let's bow our heads, every eye closed, every head bowed. And I'll count to three, and then I invite you to raise up. No one else sees. This is just our act of surrendering to God. So one, two, three. God of grace and God of mercy. 
coming to this place today, recognizing that we can't do this alone, recognizing that you are God and we are not. So today, as we come into this place, Lord, we, we know that there are some that are going through a time where, Lord, they're, they're struggling, concerns over relationships. Speak a balm of peace into those lives. There are those that have come into this place today that are experiencing times of concern regarding their work, their vocation. Lord, may they find sanctuary here in this time. And there are those that come into this place today and Lord, they themselves have been bearing a burden, whether it be health or emotional or things that are weighing so heavy on their heart and mind. Lord, give them peace. Whatever our needs may be, you are God and we are not, and we come and we surrender them all to you. So speak, Lord, for your children are listening. And as we have heard your word as it has been read, and now as it is to be proclaimed, By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth? And as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen. As we're going through this series of being reminded of the five vows that we take when we join the United Methodist Church, just a couple of years ago, some of this might seem familiar to you because just a couple of years ago or so, we did a worship series that was based on those five vows that we support the church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And in fact, at that time, one of my friends, uh, Reverend Marty Cauley, he was on disability leave as he was battling cancer, and he had relocated with his family down to uh, Fayetteville, Florida, a little further than Fayetteville. And as he was down in Florida, Marty watched and worshiped with us every week. And I remember having a chance to visit with Marty not long before he passed, and Marty telling me, he said, you know, that's something that every church should do every year. Go through those reminders of those five vows, and I'll spare you. We're not going to do it every year, but we thought it would be a good thing to to revive these vows, be reminded of what it means to be a part of the community of faith together. And so we have been doing that, and when we say revive, another word that you could use is uh, awaken, that you're awakened. And so we're awakening those vows within us once again. And, you know, sometimes when you are awakened, it can be a bit disorienting. How many times have you gone out of town and slept in another hotel or someone else's house and you wake up and you have no idea where you are? It's disorienting, right? I know just the other week, Jennifer and I were in Nashville and the bedroom was a bit darker than my bedroom at home. And I woke up one time and I'm staggering trying to find my way to the restroom and make sure I find the restroom and not the closet because there's a big difference between those two. And I was disoriented. I had to awaken. It it takes a moment to awaken sometimes, to really be oriented to where we are. So we're trying to orient ourselves once again. We're trying to awaken, be revived in what it means for us to be in prayer for one another. Oh, to be able to lift one another up in prayer, the ways that we encourage one another and, and praying for someone and praying with someone. When you pray with someone, that's one of the most intimate things that we could possibly do. And so we were reminded a few weeks ago 
about what it means to be able to be people through a hard time, being with someone, celebrating along with them, what it means to really be present with one another. And today, we're trying to orient ourselves, revive our understanding when it comes to our gifts. Now, Scripture tells us that we are created in the image of God. And one thing that we know about God is that God is a God of love. And as God is a God of love, that also means that God is a God of generosity. John 3.16, the most quoted scripture ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. When I see that, God loved, so God gave. God loved you so much that God gave his son. When I hear that, I'm reminded of a wise woman at one congregation that I had served. She told me one time, she said, you know, I've learned that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Oh, that resonated so powerful for me. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. In fact, as a, as a way of showing me, she had, before I left that congregation, she had it printed up and put that statement on there. And it, it is in my office every day. I get to see the statement and be reminded that when you love someone, you give. You can't help but give. I think about early in our relationship, when Jennifer and I were dating, maybe I would have to go to the store to get something, and I'd go to the store and get something, and I knew that my wife, well, soon-to-be wife, I knew that she loved peppermint patties. And I'd be there in the checkout line, and I'd see that silver tin of a peppermint patty, and I'd say, oh, you know what, I'm going to get her a peppermint patty. And so when I'd see her, oh, I'd show her the things I'd had to get at the store, but then I'd say, oh, and guess what? got this for you. I had it. It was sweet. It was, uh, sorry. It was a gesture of love. If you love, you give. That's the way God made us. God made us to be people who love. And so we give as a way of demonstrating that love that we have for someone. The scriptures are very clear about what it means when we give back to God. And in fact, the scriptures play out four different ways of giving to God. And so I'm going to take a few moments and we're going to try to go through each one of these four different ways of giving to God so that we can reorient, revive, awaken our understanding of what it means for us to, to give, to support the church, to be a part of the church with our gifts. The first one is tithing. Now, I'm sure you have heard of tithing before. Tithing is first found in Genesis chapter 14. And if you remember, setting into place Genesis 14, come, tell me, giving a little bit of context. I think of in Genesis 12, you know, Abram has been called by God to go to the land that he would show him, and he would make him a great nation. And so Abram leaves everything behind, except he takes his people, he takes his family, he takes his, his nephew, Lot, who is to go with him. So he takes a lot with him. 
I'm just always making sure you're paying attention. He takes a lot with him. He takes his family. And so as they go, they're going out, and he takes his, his cattle. He takes his livestock. He takes his herds. And Lot takes his. And God is already pouring out his blessings on Abram and upon Lot. And so these herds are growing and growing. And it turns out so much so, they're growing so much and multiplying that they're beginning to bump into each other. In fact, the shepherds of Lot's herd and the shepherds of Abram's herd are starting to have words with one another. And so Abram comes up with a solution. He goes to his nephew Lot. He says, Lot, it is not good for us to quarrel with one another. And so you pick from the choices of land and you and your people go there and you spread out there so that your flock may continue to prosper and my flock may continue to prosper. And so Lot picks a land that is right outside of Sodom. And in fact, Lot himself goes ahead and moves into Sodom and they are prospering. They're prospering. They're growing. Well, other people don't always like it when somebody begins to prosper. And so there was an alliance formed. These kings come together and they attack. And in fact, they attack and they take the city of Sodom and they take Lot and all of his possessions. Word comes to Abram that his nephew and all of the belongings have been taken. So Abram calls together his trained men. He calls together his people and they go into battle and they go into battle and they are completely victorious. They overwhelm the army and they recover Lot and all of the things that have been taken from the city. All of the things were brought back and returned. And as Abram comes back victorious, knowing that his victory had come from God, as Abram comes back, Melchizedek, who was a priest, but also a king of Bethel, Melchizedek comes out. And Melchizedek is one you actually hear reference later on in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. Melchizedek comes out. And that name, Melchizedek, is a name that literally means king of righteousness. Oh, I love it. This king of righteousness comes out to Abram. He is so full of gratitude. He comes out to him with bread and wine. Why does that sound familiar? And he comes out with bread and wine to offer this blessing to Abram and all of his soldiers. And he offers this blessing found in Genesis chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. He says, he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And after having received this blessing, Abram says, the scripture says that Abram gave him one tenth of everything. The tithe. He's overwhelmed with gratitude because he recognizes he wasn't the one that did the deliverance. He's not the one that brought the victory. God did. And in response to what God has done and having received this blessing now from Melchizedek, Abram gives one-tenth of everything he had. One-tenth. The next time that we hear of a tithe in the scriptures is about in Genesis chapter 28. In this passage of scripture, and Pastor Corey preached on this passage back during the Stones of Remembrance series. It's this time that, that Jacob goes to sleep. And remember, he has that dream of Jacob's ladder and the angels ascending and descending. And he, as he awakes from that dream, he's being reminded that the covenant is, remains with him. And that Jacob makes a vow to God in the midst of this covenant. And he says in Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 through 22, that then Jacob made a vow in saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way, that I will go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one tenth to you. 
Scholars see this as beginning this practice of tithing. This tithing becomes this common practice for the people of the Jewish faith because it becomes this common practice because it's an act acknowledging the superiority of the one to whom it was paid. This tithing was this act of acknowledging the superiority of the one to whom it was paid. Now, later on, as they continue to develop that practice, tithing actually becomes a requirement for the people of God. When they got into the promised land, the land had to be divided up for all the 12 tribes, but there was one tribe that did not receive any land, the Levites. The Levites, for they themselves were an inheritance. They themselves were a possession of God. And so they did not receive any land. So they did not have any land upon which they could grow crops for harvest. They themselves did not have flocks to tend to. So the people had to tithe. They had to give a part of their harvest. They had to give a part of their flocks to the Levites so that they might be taken care of and be able to continue to do the work of God. And in fact, this practice became so important of tithing that eventually the Pharisees and the scribes made it such a minute thing. They wanted to make sure every grain, all the way down to the exact point, was that 10%, that one-tenth of everything. And in Matthew 23, and this will be the last thing I say about tithing for now. In Matthew 23, Jesus and faith, if if it is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. So he's calling them out because they are so attentive to the tithing, but they're not living us of the importance of living out all of those parts of our faith. And, you know, I learned about tithing as a child. How many of you as kids had a set of envelopes? Maybe you still do it today. I know my mom and dad, when I would get my allowance, whether it was weekly or monthly, I would receive my allowance and it would be broken down already into either coins or dollar bills to make it easy because I had one envelope that was already marked and it had to be the first thing that I put money in, tithe. 10% of what I received, I was to give back to God to acknowledge my way that it was not mine. It was God's to begin with. And then I would have another one for saving. I didn't know what I was saving for at seven or eight years old, but I knew I was supposed to put a certain amount in there for saving. I would have another one that I would have labeled on there the name of the Atari video game that I was waiting to buy. I was storing up enough money. I couldn't wait. I'm dating myself now. But I had this understanding as a child of breaking it up, separating it out, and recognizing that this belonged to God. That was taught to me as a child, and it's something that I've continued to try to live into as an adult. And look, it's hard. It is hard to recognize giving away 10% when you could be saving that towards retirement or vacation. It's hard. But so is fighting for justice and mercy and faith. But God calls us to it. God calls us to it. So we must be striving to get there. All right, so that's, that's tithing. The second offering, uh, giving, a way of giving that the Bible talks about is, is, I'll call it offering or collection. This goes above and beyond your tithe. Your tithe is already something that you're giving. It's set apart. It's already that formula. But this is when your heart is moved. Maybe you're overcome with joy with what God is doing in your life or in the life of someone you love. Maybe there's a special thing that's happening, pouring in to God's love into the lives of children or people in the community. And this is sort of what we could call a seed offering. 
You're investing in the kingdom of God above and beyond that normal amount. Luke 6, 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will it be put into your lap? For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The point of this is, it's kind of like the more seeds you sow, the more plants you can harvest. Your heart is moved towards a special project, and so you want to go above and beyond what that expected normal amount is. You know, I think about it in this context. When Jennifer and I go out to eat, I take tipping of our weight person very serious. I do that because my wife helped put herself through college and even law school by waiting tables. I do that because one of my children waited tables helping to put himself through college. And we know that when somebody is waiting tables, they're not getting a normal hourly wage most of the time. They're getting just pittance amount. And so they're dependent upon those uh, tips that they receive. And so when we go out to eat, I'm starting at 20%. I'm making sure that they're going to get paid. I'm making sure that I'm going to do my part to help get them to that point. But you know what? Every now and then I'll have a wait person that gets to know my name. Every now and then, I'll have a wait person that will fill my cup before I even have to ask for it. They'll clear my plate before I even need it done. Every now and then, somebody goes above and beyond. And you know what? When they do, I'm going to bump that tip up a little bit more. I want them to know. I see you. I see what you're doing. And so maybe it'll go from 20 to 22, maybe to 25. Who knows? It's above and beyond. That's what God that, that's what this offering, this collection, this seed money is. This, it's an investment. It goes above and beyond what we normally would do because we have our hearts moved in a special way. That's what I think, God. That's one of those ways that God is calling us. Okay, so that's two of them. The third one that I'm going to reference is called First Fruits. Uh, back in uh, some of the churches that I've served, we would have a harvest festival. I believe you used to do one as well here at ours. We would have a harvest festival. In those congregations, it was a true harvest festival. By that, I mean that almost everybody within the church was made up of farmers. And in the fall, after they had harvested whatever it was that they were harvesting, whatever they had been working on, dependent upon, they would have a harvest festival. And they wanted to make sure that they gave from those proceeds of that harvest, they wanted to make sure they gave those first fruits. I mean, there were times they would have a live auction. We saw children's coloring books that cost a dollar go for $300 because they wanted to give. They knew that this money came as the result of God. They put something in the ground and God brought it up and they harvested it. And so they wanted to make sure that they gave back to God that first fruit. Proverbs 3 says in verses 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So when we ourselves get that, that first fruit, maybe, maybe it's an unexpected bonus from work. Maybe it's an unexpected dividend that we get from investments. Maybe it's uh, somehow we get a, a raise. Maybe it's something. Maybe we sell a house and we get a lot more than we thought we were getting. It's a way of giving back to God a part of those first fruits, that unexpected blessing. We give it back, give a portion of that back to God. All right, so that's three. The last one that I'm going to speak about is called almsgiving. Throughout Paul's missionary journeys, you see him going from one community to the next. And so many times he's taken up a collection. And that collection is to take it to the next community where that get, those gifts will be utilized to help the hungry, to help the poor, the widows, and the orphans. When we give alms, we're giving to meet a human need. 
And it goes beyond all the other ways that we're talking about giving. And that's one of the things that I absolutely so love about this church. When you know that somebody's hungry, you give. When you know that there is a need in our community, you meet that need. I love the way that I just saw as I was preaching a man walk over here to the box to get a share the love bag. Because you yourselves come together to make a difference in the lives of people around us. That's almsgiving. And when we give in such a way, we're able to meet and address a real human need. I give thanks. Because when you do that, you're demonstrating love. You're demonstrating that love of God. And as my friend told me once, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. So thank you for all the ways you continue to live into that love. Let us pray. God, in your grace and your mercy, we come together. We come together and we respond to the many ways that you have poured out your love. You've poured out your mercy. You've demonstrated time and time again that you are a God of grace. And so we respond. Lord, may you continue to move our hearts in such a way that call us to live in alignment with you. May you continue to awaken within us an orientation, understanding that our giving, our giving means so much. Our giving is such a significant part of our relationship with you. And through our giving, others may come to know the love of Jesus Christ. Others may receive hope once again through you. So God, I thank you for all the ways we've continued to respond, the ways we're able to live into that full relationship with you. God, we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.